So Psalm 23, uh, we've been practicing reading this all together out loud and then focusing this morning. We'll focus on verse 6, just one at a time. So let me invite you, if you have your Bibles, you're up on the screens, read this with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures. This morning I want to begin with a statement, and I want you to tell me if you agree, okay? Here's my claim, here's my thought. Where you live has a direct impact on how you live. You agree? Where you live has a direct impact on how you live. I went on a mission trip years ago in New York City. We were in the projects of Jamaica, Queens after Hurricane Sandy, and the poverty within that square mile was like nothing I had ever seen before. Just picture sky rises all around you of people barely making it. And our assignment for the week was to partner with this community garden right there in the middle of this neighborhood, and we were specifically tasked with rebuilding their tilapia ponds. I had no idea. You can fit hundreds and hundreds of tilapias in just a small section of water. And this was a big deal for this community, right? Because this neighborhood had no local access to a grocery store. They lived in what's called a nutrition shadow. You know, if you think about Bozeman proper, if you live in town, even from right here at the Bozeman site, we could probably walk to two or three grocery stores, no problem. But in this nutrition shadow in Jamaica, Queens, you either had to take a bus, which you probably couldn't afford, or you had to walk for miles upon miles carrying your groceries for dinner. Depending on where you live, right, the obesity levels and the poor health of that neighborhood, that area was sky high. Because most would get their food from the local quick shop that was right around the corner or the fast food station between them and the grocery store. A Harvard study recently took thousands of data points and they compared them across sections of the U.S. And it's telling when you read this report just how much our our lifestyle and our geography impacts who we are and where we are. For instance, they found that those who live in sunny and mild places like the Southwest or maybe even Montana have a much higher instance of carcinoma than those do back east. They found that those who live in major roads and big urban areas with particular rates from all the vehicles had much higher rates of heart disease, cognitive decline. See, where you live, where you work, where you play, it matters. And we know this, right? Some of us just moved here because of this. But I want to take that concept one more more step, one step further. And I want to say this. Tell me if you agree with this. Where you live eventually tells me something about who you are. Here's what I want you to see. Just set like the social science aside. That was just to get us warmed up. This is actually a biblical reality. Look again at verse six. David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, for some reason, King David is fixated on this idea. 
The concept of a dwelling place is all over the Psalms. Surely goodness and mercy, he says, shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell with the Lord in his courts forever. You open up the book of Psalms, and that idea is widespread. Let me just show you a few examples. Look at this in, verse, in uh, Psalm 27. Look at this prayer. David says, one thing I ask, one thing I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. Look at this in uh, Psalm 84.10. He says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in tents of wickedness. Psalm 26.8. He says, Lord, I love the habitation of your house, the, the place where your glory is. You know, this vision, it's mentioned nearly a dozen times throughout the book of Psalms. David is caught up in God's living room. He's obsessed with what it is to dwell with the Lord, to be in the presence of God. And for David, right, as the sheep of his pasture, he says, God, as long as I stand in the presence of the shepherd, that will be enough. As I pondered the ending of this psalm over the last week, I realized, you know, where you dwell as a follower of Christ, it really does directly say something, reveal something about who you are. It directly impacts the life that you now live. Just pretend with me that we all uh, have moved into a brand new house. Just with immaculate walls, the new house smell, the fresh paint, everything looks crisp and shiny, right? It's a desirable place to live. If we were to turn to the first pages of God's love story in the Bible, that, that kind of immaculate perfection is the picture in Genesis 2, you'll find that kind of idea, right? This brand new creation of, of men walking alongside God in this place called Eden. And Eden was, in every sense of the word, home. It was the new build. It was the place where God and his people lived together. It's quite literally the place where heaven and earth collided. Where the Almighty was now from on high, condescending, walking among his creation. And if you slow down the second chapter of Genesis, you will quickly find that this dwelling... This home had three distinct areas. Just think about like the, the, the center of a bullseye. This comes to us from Bible Project. Look at this image. First, God creates a region, right? That's Eden. It's this geographic location that if you translate it in Hebrew, it means pleasure or delight. It was in every sense of the word, this new home kind of feel. That was the outer region. And within that, within Eden, verse 8 of, of Genesis 2 tells us God planted a garden. It was in the east of Eden. We're told God put Adam and Eve there. And this was the place, right, where it was set aside for the Lord to be with his people. Third, in the middle, was the tree of life. It was the center point of all creation, right? It was this life-giving tree that covered all the daily spiritual and physical needs of God's people. Look again, let me, let me show you. Look at this in verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. There he put man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant, the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of it, the tree of knowledge of good and evil nearby. See, this dwelling place, right, it was full. It was overflowing. It was this lush garden of perfection. There were no impoverished projects. There was no nutrition shadow. There were rivers literally flowing from one corner of this garden to the other. Right? The presence of the Lord is living alongside his people, his creation. 
And to be in that place, to be Adam and Eve, was to have everything then. I shall not want. But we know what happened. We know the story. Rather than living by the tree of life and trusting in God's provision, Adam and Eve now live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like God. They wanted to be all-knowing like him. So they take the bite of the one forbidden fruit, and sin now enters the equation. And Adam and Eve are banished from home. The place that they once knew as Eden, right, as paradise, is the house of the Lord where they dwelled. It's now cordoned off. And instead, they now walk in a foreign land. Now, don't lose sight of this. Remember my premise. Remember this? Where you live tells me something about who you are. What does it mean that we no longer dwell in Eden, right? From that point forward, humanity has lived in exile from their home. We've lived among, as Isaiah says, a people of unclean lips, unworthy to be in the presence of our maker, covered in transgressions. We are now nomads, wanderers, foreigners. See, and we know this because we live in it. Even if you make your dwelling in the poshest of gardens and Bozeman's pretty dang close, you still see brokenness. And try as we might, we, we cannot escape that we're homesick. Right? We try desperately all the time to, to quench that craving. We, we know that we're homesick, and not just homesick. We're like a, a hiker lost in the woods. We are homeless, lost. You know, just a few weeks ago, I just say just a week ago, right, we saw thousands of college students coming back into town. Some of you, maybe you're here in the midst of us. For the first time, you set up your dorm room. When you said goodbye to mom and dad, what's, what's some of the first things you put in your dorm? It's something that reminds you of home, right? A blanket, maybe a frame with the family pic. You might hide it in your drawer, but something reminds you of back home. Others of us, for our entire lives, we, we work to afford a place that becomes our castle, right? Our safe place, our, our refuge. And the desire within us is to make those walls and that space somehow feel like home. We'll travel the world, others of us, all over. We can't stay in one place. We are always looking for the place that feels right. And when the pandemic struck, um, remember thousands of people got in their RVs, remember that, and just started touring the country? Jen and I ran into a couple, lovely couple at the, the Bozeman Hot Springs. They had four kids. He sold his business, sold his home, left everything he knew out in California, and they began traveling. And while we were sitting with them in the hot springs, I asked this man, I said, so what's, what's the plan? Like, what's your end game? And I kid you not, and I quote, he said, we're looking for a new place that feels more like home. See, and herein lies the problem, right? The story of Eden tells us that this garden, this home apart from Christ, it's no longer available. And the place where we dwell tells us something about who we are. We were meant to walk with the Lord in paradise. We were meant to be in this place without pain or sorrow. We were meant to, to walk in the Garden of Eden with the tree of life, living in God's presence. And David knows this. He, he has it inside of him. He's longing for it. He craves it with all of his being. He says, Lord, just one thing I ask, God, just one thing I pray for, that I would dwell in your house forever. Lord, just get me the place where your glory is. I, I want to be near. That word dwell in Hebrew, it actually means to inhabit to inhabit the place where you live. And David probably wasn't thinking garden. What was David thinking? He was thinking tabernacle. 
Remember in the book of Exodus, God sees this homeless people. They're wandering in the wilderness. And in their desperation, God comes down to a mountain to visit Moses. And he makes this plan with their leader. You know, at nauseam, after Moses gives him his covenant, or gives, after God gives Moses his covenant, God begins to lay out this map, right? This drawing of what an Eden-like home might be again. God said, let's do this. Let's repair it like this. I'll make my dwelling in a tent, and then me and the tent will go with you wherever you go. And this tent, this tabernacle, it'll be a reminder of the promise that I once had for you in Eden. I love again how Tim Mackey explains this. He says, the tabernacle, right, was meant to make God's people look back to that garden. It too had three circles. First, God begins with a region, right? He lays out an outer courtyard. Let's get that, see that graphic, yeah. Outer courtyard up, up, up in the, around the, the temple, right, the, or the tabernacle. This is Eden. And he says, okay, that, that, that'll be the, the area. Then we'll make the tent, right? That can be like the garden. And then the holiest of holies, that can be near like the tree of life. That's where God said, I'll make my dwelling again with my people. And again, don't forget the point that I'm trying to make here, right? Where you choose to live tells us something about who you are. See, God in his mercy and in his grace, he didn't choose to leave us in our sin and banish from his presence. He chased us, pursued us. And the tabernacle now becomes this place where quite literally God and man dwell together again. Where the priests on behalf of the people would enter this tent where God would go, where his people went. See, it seems to me when, when David says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that's at least part of the image he had in mind. That's what the word house means, right? It means God's dwelling, God's tabernacle. And it's not just a tent. Remember this, keep this in mind. David wanted to make it permanent. He wanted to build God a temple. And I want to dwell in the temple and the house of the Lord, right? Now, here's the challenge with that. In this tabernacle, even in the temple, the only way to get to the holiest of holies was by sacrifice. The only way to enter that tent was by cleansing yourself by the, the blood of the lamb from your sin. And even then, there was only one man, one time a year, the high priest who would walk in on behalf of the people on the Day of Atonement to access those inner courts. See, the most important place for a Jew on earth was that tent was that temple. Not because it was this powerful building, right? But because that was where God was. That's where God manifests his, re his reality. See, here's the challenge, right? We know nothing of that sacred space in this world. We live in a desperate, parched, fallen state. And within all of us, there is a homesickness deep within that knows this can't be it. Up north in uh, in Canada is a city called Watson Lake. Anybody ever been there? To Signpost Forest is the, the area it's called. Signpost got its name back in 1942 when a soldier by the name of Carl Lindley, a U.S. soldier, was working outside of a U.S. Ba base nearby. And Lindley had specific orders to repair a broken sign along the road. But as an American soldier, he was missing home. So after he got this, this uh, sign repaired and restored, he decided to make a little sign below it with his hometown. It said Danville, Illinois with an arrow this way. Today the idea snowballed. There's now 80,000 signs across acres and acres of people who have joined him in pointing to home. See, we all long for it, right? And one of the things that I love about God's word, the more that I read it, the more you find this, this, this thread, this plan unfolding, 
There is this sure and certain foreshadowing of of God dwelling forever again with his people from Eden, the tabernacle to the temple, all the way through, God is foreshadowing something far more permanent that David seems to see. And it culminates in who? In Christ. It's why in Christmas we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. See, and and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of David's vision. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me, shall condescend in a son following me, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's promised us, right? That by his sacrifice, we all now become priests. We all get to draw near to the holiest of holies. We all get to take again from the tree of life. So much so, right, that get this reality. Don't, Don't lose sight of this. This is important. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. You are the home. I mean, are you catching this, right? This is no small gesture. Where you live tells us something about who you are. The fact that God would choose to come and dwell among us, that by Jesus' sacrifice, he would choose this sinful body for the Holy Spirit to live within. What does that say to you about who your God is? Where we live changes everything. Dwight Moody uh, tells a story about a woman in his church with cognitive decline. And as a part of this dementia, she started struggling with confusion and delusions. And she was convinced when she came to him that these two men were following her behind her wherever she went. She told him, she said, man, everywhere I go, Dwight, everywhere I go, I'm being chased by these two guys. She said, I go to the grocery store, they're following me, I get in the bus, they're right behind me. Just right now, I came into your office, they're right outside. And Moody knew this woman was struggling with, with her mind, and he said to her, he said, oh yeah, I know who those two men are, you don't know? She said, no. He said, well yeah, you've heard the psalm, that's just goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy are following you. Moody said she left just beaming, filled with joy again. How incredible is it, right, that God's love chases us with such a fervor and such a passion that he would send his one and only son to dwell among his people. That even when we, like Adam and Eve, chose to walk away, he would take the cross such that we might live in his house again forever. And Revelation paints us the picture, right? Where it says the tree of life, this this tree in the middle of the city, it once more will bring healing to the nations by its leaves. And the throne of God will be at its center, right? The holiest of holies where we'll see him face to face. There will be no need for sun, Revelation tells us, because the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah, will gaze upon us. I'll say it one more, right? Where you live, says something significant about who you are. And the vision that I think David paints for us, right, the the question that, that comes with that vision is where are we choosing to dwell? Are you dwelling in his word? Are you dwelling among his people? Are you dwelling in prayer? Are you dwelling in his paths? Look at this, I'll, I'll end with this quote from Spurgeon. Look at this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, while I'm here, I will be a child alone with my God. The whole world will be his house to me. And when I ascend to the upper changer, I shall not change my company, nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. That's the signpost, right, that David hammers into the ground for us to see. This way, the house of the Lord. 
His love pursues me. His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where will you dwell this week? Pray with me. God, your love for us knows no bounds. Lord, many of us, we just broken with wounds from the week. We just stumbled in here. And yet, God, we, we can say as the psalmist did, I was happy when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord because here in this place among your people, we get a foretaste of what it is to sit with you forever. And God, we're, we're finite, fickle beings. We often lose sight of eternity and in the eternal perspective that you would have for us. So God, by your grace and your mercy, would you give us David's vision? Would you give us David's prayer? Lord, that come what may, we would cling to your glory and cling to the promise that one day for those who believe in Jesus Christ, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But God, we know that as your people, you also call us to be a part of bringing your kingdom here on earth. And so, Lord, would you just help us in a world that is lost and broken and homeless to bring people back home. God, we've said we want to be a church to call home, but we want to be more than a place. We want to bring people to you, Jesus. God, help us to do that. Help us to dwell in who you are this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.